Open your Bibles to Psalm 42. <laughs> we are studying, I am going through Psalms that either are Messianic or that are quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. And that lands us now on Psalm 42. And the topic we find there, David recalls a time in exile when he felt like a deer desperate with thirst. Our title is a musical title. Oh, dear, what can the matter be, David, so long in despair? <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this study that uh, we're about to embark upon. Even as David pours out his heart, Lord, I pray that you would reach our hearts with your passion and compassion. And that we would learn about you and your dealings with us. That you'd speak to us, Lord, in a, a prophetic way. We know you're present here, Lord, in a special way to manifest yourself by your spirit. We pray that you would. And anything that we might think or say that would block that, Lord, we put aside right now. We want your word to come alive in our hearing. And only you can do that. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. It turns out Waldo is an immigrant whose European name is Wally. Where's Wally was published in 1987 in the United Kingdom. In the United States, it was published as Where's Waldo. We were able to do that because we won the Revolutionary War. In the book, you're familiar. How many, is there anybody that doesn't know who Where's Waldo is? You, you don't know what I'm talking about? So in the book, Waldo travels to everyday places where he sends postcards to the reader. And they're the pictures in the book. And you must find him in these huge crowds. And he's unusual looking, but it's, it can be really difficult to identify him. There is a brand new COVID-19 version of Where's Waldo? Artists Pedro Mazzini and Clay Bennett gave Waldo a social distancing makeover. I'm not joking. I posted a picture on my Instagram this morning. As you might guess, Waldo is a quick find. On the cover of the new book, Waldo is sporting a surgical mask. In reviews I read, however, more than one person scolds Waldo for not sheltering at home. And so it's a phenomenon. Twice in Psalm 42, we're going to hear the question, where is your God? Instead of giving a theological answer or argument, the psalmist drew back the curtain and shared his personal longings. In verses 1 through 4, he's anguished because he could not be in the assembly of God's people. In the remaining verses, he is agonized because of some tremendous affliction he is enduring. Anguished and agonized, he nevertheless declares that his hope is in the Lord. His afflictions will come to their end. He looks forward to the day he will again assemble with God's people. He never doubts that God is, in fact, present. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, where is your God? He is in the great assembly. And number two, where is your God? He is in your graced afflictions. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 4 at the great assembly of God's saints. Star Wars Episode 4, it ends with the heroes being cheered at a great galactic celebration. The Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, near the end, features Aragorn's crowning as king in a great assembly of Middle-earth in Gondor. The Bible, in Episode 66, looks forward to a great assembly of believers and angels. Let me read you some passages from the book of the Revelation. Revelation 5, 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, 
the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And then Revelation 7, 9 through 11. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. At that heavenly assembly, we are told that Jesus, and I quote, will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. That's from Hebrews 2.12, quoted from the Psalms. And so we are moving towards a great assembly of saints around the throne of God in the end times in, in heaven, at which Jesus will uh, address us. Now, just how much of this the psalmist understood, we can't say. I'm guessing, however, that the psalmist had some idea about the assembling of God's people on earth being a foretaste of our gathering together in heaven. And so let's get into it. Verse one, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Contemplation is from the Hebrew word mashil. One scholar noted, it is a musical term denoting a melody requiring great skill in its execution. It may be that David penned this song, not the sons of Korah, but only the musical family, the sons of Korah, could perform it. They're the only musicians who had the chops to really bring it to life. It was a more complicated uh, rendition than David normally came up with, perhaps. Uh, you might not know that William Shatner recorded several albums. I said an album last service, and my son uh, reminded me he's actually done many albums. On one of them, he did a cover of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. It is always on every list of the worst covers ever made. And so the idea here is you don't, you don't write Psalm 42 and give it to William Shatner. You give it to the sons of Korah because they're going to bring it to life in a, in a way that only they can. To the chief musicians, a contemplation of the sons of Korah as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's essentially it, right? Deer is sometimes rendered more poetically heart, H-A-R-T. The heart in this case would be parched from either a long drought or from a recent pursuit. It was an apt description of several possible seasons in David's life. We don't know which, but for example, he was on the run from King Saul for maybe 13 years. That would be a long drought. He had to quickly evacuate the palace when his son Absalom rebelled against him. That would be a pursuit. We sing this chorus, but I don't think we understand the real anguish of it. We sing it as a reminder of how much we ought to long after God or think we do long after God. We're usually really comfortable when we sing it. We don't... Uh, Maybe it's just me, but I don't typically think of this as a psalm for when I'm in a terrible, deep distress. I, I think of it as just kind of a devotional psalm, as it were. Uh, but the psalmist was in a terrible place. He says, my soul longs for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What is your go-to thirst quencher? Well, the healthy folks over at Livestrong say, go for the water. 
I know this time of year, I love lemonade. Homemade lemonade, store-bought lemonade, simply lemonade, not so much the lemonade stand lemonades. What's with kids nowadays? They don't know how to make lemonade. Have you drank, have you drank some of that stuff? It's like gasoline. Got to do it, though. Uh, anyway, uh, but after I drink lemonade, guess what? I'm thirsty for water because lemonade doesn't really quench your thirst. It only adds to it because of the sugar. A little nutritional note there. Just I thought I'd drop on you. Don't disagree with me. I don't really care. Uh, but go for the water. Maybe put a little bit of Himalayan sea salt in it. Wow. Ever done that? That's great stuff. Gives it a real different flavor. What do you think the Sherpas are drinking over in the Himalayas, huh? <laughs> sea salt. That's right. Christians seem to have an insatiable thirst, but I sometimes question the quenchers we reach for. Program after program after program promises, in a sense, to quench your spiritual thirst. They don't say it that way, but that's what they're out there for. Read this, do this, and you will uh, feel the presence of God. But just think logically. If the program worked, why would it quickly be replaced by the next program? It wouldn't, because it worked. I came across an article titled, Hiker Dies of Thirst with Water All Around. You'll see the parallels as I read through it. By day two in the blazing Utah desert, Dave Buchow was in bad shape. Pale, racked by cramps, his speech slurred. The 29-year-old New Jersey man was desperate for water and hallucinating so badly he mistook a tree for a person. After going roughly 10 hours without a drink in 100-degree heat, he finally dropped dead of thirst, face down in the dirt, less than 100 yards from the goal, a cave with a pool of water. Bouchard was no solitary soul lost and alone in the desert. He and 11 other hikers from various walks of life were being led by expert guides on a wilderness survival adventure designed to test their physical and mental toughness. And the guides, it turned out, were carrying emergency water. Bouchard wasn't told that and he wasn't offered any. The guides did not want him to fail the $3,000 course. They wanted him to dig deep, push himself beyond his known limits, and make it to the cave on his own. Too many so-called Christian thirst quenchers are exactly like that. They make you do work for the water. They tell you that you're not feeling the presence of God, sensing the presence of God, being used by God because you need to get to the water. And this is how you do it, through prayer, through a certain number of days, through fasting, you know, those kinds of things. They make you do work for the water when, in fact, God has promised it to you by grace. He said, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Now, he didn't say, uh, you need to go find a canal bank somewhere and draw from that. He says, as a Christian, you're going to have rivers of living water flowing out of you. And we just don't believe it. So here's a better quencher if you're looking for a spiritual thirst quencher. Repetitive reading of scripture out loud. Repetitive reading we've talked about before is just something that happens. You, know, you take your Bible and most of them are broken up into paragraphs now. But if not, you can take a section and read it, reread it, come back to it the next day, read it, reread it. Uh, and you'll start noticing things. On a very simple level, you'll start noticing words that are repeated. It's, it's wild. You'll read something, and then the, the third time through, you say, oh, wow, the word hope is in here five times. I didn't see that the first time. And then the Lord will begin to speak to you, and that's how the Bible is alive. Lately, I've been trying to do out loud reading because I've heard from a couple of trusted sources 
Well, Gordon Fee, I was listening to a book by him. He quoted another guy who he has a book on how to get real content out of reading. And they suggest that you read out loud. Now, I don't know how or why that works, but apparently it does. So when somebody goes to hand you their next book or ask you to buy the next program, just say, hey, I'm reading the word over and over in a repetitive way out loud. You should try it. And I'm telling you, that will satisfy your thirst better than any lemonade that the world has to offer. David's particular thirst was spiritual, and it could only be quenched by appearing before the living God. He meant appearing in the tabernacle with the assembly of God's people. Now, David, of all the Jews, knew that God was omnipresent. In another psalm, he would sing, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there, etc., etc." And so God was omnipresent. He was aware of that. Notwithstanding God's omnipresence, David panted for the assembling of the saints. Verse three, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? So here we see David fasting, but not on purpose. He was so overwhelmed by his exile that he cried through mealtimes. He didn't even know it was time to eat. He was crying so much. All the days kind of blended together. Who was asking, where is your God? Well, enemies were for sure. David had been anointed with oil by Samuel. He was the rightful king, but he languished in exile. He was a hunted man. Could also have been those who accompanied David in his exile, his uh, companions and colleagues. Even though friends, they must have wondered why the return of the king was waiting. Verse four, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And so here David is recalling the normal Hebrew life, regular assemblies of God's people in the tabernacle, which was the center of Jewish life. And seven annual pilgrim feasts, three of which were graciously mandatory for adults, adult males anyway, and they would swell the population of Jerusalem with pilgrims. In this psalm, at this time in David's life, the thing he missed most was worshiping with other believers. He had the omnipresence of God, and we know that God the Holy Spirit was with him. You don't write psalms without the presence of the Spirit. He longed for his presence in the assembly, nonetheless. This was the guy who wanted to get God out of the tabernacle into a temple. Even when told no, he continued to plan for the temple to be built by his son Solomon. David was a hardcore worship assembly junkie. He wanted to be with God's people worshiping them, worshiping the Lord rather. For David, there could never be a new normal. He must get back to worship as prescribed by God. Now, let me say this. Psalm 42, it's not about COVID-19, but you're thinking about that right now because of some of the parallels, this idea of assembling together and the longing for it. So it's not about sheltering in place or social distancing when in public, but there are principles in it that we can glean. We always have to be careful. It's easy for us, it's easy for me, to read into the scripture what I want it to say. Uh, scholars call that eisegesis, where I see what I want to see in the scripture. But I think we've been careful to show what the scripture actually says. And you can't avoid the fact that David says, I want to worship with God's people. And obviously that's a longing that should be on anyone's heart that's a Christian or that's a believer. 
that we would be together. So I think we can make some analysis of this. For example, in this time of sheltering exile, what is it you really miss the most? Your honest answer will give you a look at your actual priorities. I'm not saying meeting together as Calvary Chapel must be number one on that list or else. But you should have a strong longing for it at least and feel anguish that it has been rendered difficult if not impossible. David couldn't eat because he couldn't get together with God's people. He cried through his meals. I'm not saying we have to do that, but if, if, uh, if we don't have a real drive and anguish to come to church, then that's something to think about. And I believe that our people do. And I know that you guys do because we're starting to trickle back. What? Who said that? We must never settle for some forced new normal. One of the governors, I forget which state, so I don't want to be inaccurate, but one of the governors uh, was talking about uh, getting through this time. And at the end, she said something like, uh, and reinventing the culture. And I thought, what? Who wants to reinvent American culture? Not me. I thought this was about just staying healthy, not having a new culture like we've never had before, like some X-Men thing where all of a sudden it skips a generation. And I don't know what she was talking about, but it was ominous. So let me share another ominous thought. Churches are virtual. They're online. Hi again. And that's great. But we're on platforms like YouTube and Facebook or Google or whatever it might be. And these platforms, I don't know if you realize this or not, but they're getting increasingly political. For example, here's a recent quote. Under mounting pressure to counter misinformation around COVID-19 pandemic, Facebook is increasingly dictating what its users should see and think. And what that means is that Facebook is removing posts that they feel violate their opinion about COVID-19. So if you were to write something that they disagree with, that's not in their wheelhouse, they just take it off now. Uh, this morning when I was scrolling through Twitter, uh, some of you are familiar with a gal called Candace Owens. I guess she's a big conservative kind of a person. Uh, Twitter eliminated one of her tweets because they didn't agree with her position. And so this is what's happening online. It's only the push of a button away from tech giants censoring a virtual church. If this quarantine goes too much longer, it will happen, or at least the potential is there. Once we're only online, most people that aren't Christians think 90% of what we do is hate speech anyway, because we have a moral uh, you know, responsibility to speak about certain things. And so you know, the longer this goes and the more comfortable we get with just being online, the easier it is for the church to be censored and silenced. And, you know, a few days ago, I wouldn't have said that, but it's only been, what, six or seven weeks we've been doing this stuff, and, and um, it's crazy in terms of, you know, just meeting together as a church. Some municipalities are telling churches that they can't meet at all, uh, in to, even to do their live streaming. And those that are letting you meet, they say you can only have one person leading worship. And so the government is now telling churches how to worship God. And so it's a, it's a mounting pressure kind of a thing. Another recent article said significant monitoring and speech control are inevitable components of a mature, flourishing Internet. 
Governments play a large role in these practices to ensure that the internet is compatible with society's norms and values. In other words, to boil that down, the government needs to censor what you say so that we can all be on the same page. So this China virus has now brought us to the brink of being like communist China, where the internet is policed and where certain comments can't be made. Uh, it's very, very serious stuff. Are we afraid? No. Perfect love casts out fear. I saw a post where it said, how come Christians are sharing all this stuff about fear? Why are they afraid? We're not afraid. I'll tell you who's afraid, everybody that's not a Christian, because it's terrifying, really, uh, to think about that with no hope, to not understand that God is in charge. And so we're out there uh, offering hope in a courageous way. So if you are afraid, let his perfect love cast out that fear and continue to minister to people with the love of Jesus Christ. The church will prevail. Gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, we're in tough times and we're in for tougher times, I think. Uh, the government doesn't seem like they're going to quit anytime soon. Here in California, Governor Newsom's plan doesn't include churches reopening for months and months and months and months and maybe never. Uh, and once this is over, remember when you thought this was going to be over on a particular day where they were going to declare, okay, you can all do this good stuff again. We thought it would be today, May 3rd. Our anniversary as a church, 35 years. We were planning a big celebration. But it just seems like it keeps going on, and now they're talking about bringing it back season after season to cut diseases, and um, we just need to make our stand and be Christians and, I think, assemble together. Now, it's still an individual decision. We don't want to put pressure on anyone to meet with us who doesn't feel comfortable meeting with us. Uh, it's up to you. What I'm talking about is the bigger issue, the broader strokes of the fact that there's a warfare going on. There is a conspiracy, it's a satanic conspiracy. It's not a government conspiracy, it's a satanic conspiracy. And so we need to make our stand. But if you wanna just watch at home, that's fine. Nobody's saying you're less spiritual or that we're more spiritual. We're all in this together. We don't judge one another. We uh, worship according to our conscience. But these are the issues. These are the real issues that we face, is that uh, the world wants to exterminate the church. It always has. And you know what? They're smart about how they do it. We just didn't see this coming. When we talked about persecution in the past, you think about being put in jail, not about being put out of business. There'll probably never be any statistics about it, but a lot of churches are going to go under financially if this goes on much longer. But again, the church can't fail, the universal church, and ultimately God will work all things together for good. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're in Psalm 42 this morning, and we're, in for, we're going to look at verses 5 to 11. Do you talk to yourself? You probably do. I know I do. We're in good company because in these remaining verses, David has a conversation with himself as he is talking to God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. In a classic commentary on spiritual depression uh, regarding this psalm, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself? instead of talking to yourself. 
Now, this man in Psalm 42, instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a minute. I want to speak to you. So this is just great advice. We sometimes call this preaching to yourself. Take control of your conversation in your mind. Maybe even filibuster against despair and depression. Don't give it a chance to talk at all. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. In the Bible, hope denotes certainty. David's other voice was certain he would praise and experience God's countenance again. Again, I think this looks forward to once again being in the assembly, worshiping God. I just used the word again about five times in a 30-second period. I apologize to you intellectuals. It was there in the assembly that Jews experienced his manifest presence among them, the help of his countenance. Having the complete revelation of God, we look farther forward to the great assemblies in heaven. Meantime, we have God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us. We have God's omnipresence, and we meet together as God's people. And so this verse, at least part of it, is quoted in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark by Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The hard thing is, if you go there, it's hard to find. It's hard to see. It's not a direct quote. You'd be hard-pressed to figure it out. Scholars, language scholars, lots of them are the ones that say it's there if you know the language and follow what's really being said. And so I trust them. That being said, I find it wondrous that Jesus found comfort in the Psalms, just like we do. I've mentioned before, Jesus quoted from Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. I bet we do too because of uh, the times that we go through and the way we go to the Psalms. Most of the verses we've memorized probably are from the Psalms. And so what a, what a great connection there with Jesus to think that he, when he divested himself and, and you know, didn't use the prerogatives of his deity, found comfort in the Psalms. And so can we. And so when I'm looking in the Psalms for comfort, I'm, I'm doing exactly what Jesus did. And there's something wonderful about that. Verse six, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mizar. David was cast down, but after talking to himself, he had a better handle on what he wanted to say to the Lord. He was in exile. These were his GPS coordinates, but he would remember the Lord. Well, that doesn't mean he had drifted from him. We see how his soul had longed for God. It, meant, it means that he would remember God's promises to him. He knew he would be king, and he knew he would see his own son on the throne. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Deep calls unto deep is sometimes lifted as a standalone phrase to describe God trying to teach us deep things. In the context, though, here, not so much. The public commentary says this, the rolling up of the waves into a swell the breaking of the top of the swell and its dash upon the shore are surprisingly represented in the sound of the last two words. The psalmist seems to represent himself as cast away at sea, and by wave impelling wave, he is carried to a rock around which the surges dash in all directions, forming a hollow sound in the creeks and caverns. At last, several waves breaking over him tear him away from that rock to which he clung, where he had had a little hope before being found a resting place and apparently an escape from danger. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. He is then overwhelmed in the deep 
and God alone can save him. And so it's not so much a conversation of my spirit with God's spirit as it is my feeling that I am being absolutely overwhelmed uh, as the waves go over me. You ever been in a tough spot in the ocean? I'm gonna let you in on what's probably not a secret. I hate the ocean. I don't mind the beach, but I hate the ocean. It is a scary place. Terrible things happen in the ocean. I've been caught in riptides. Who has been caught in a riptide? You think this is it. I'm gonna end up in Baja dead. <laughs> it's even worse when you've got all your scuba gear on. You pop up and all of us, okay, I'll just swim. I'm not making any progress except south towards Baja. How long can I do this? You know, where are the rescue boats, that kind of thing. So that's what David, the translators made it into something kind of devotional, but David is saying, hey, I'm like stuck in the ocean holding onto a rock and then I let go of that and I'm gonna drown if, if God doesn't save me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Again, let's get a better translation. The Message Bible captures this by saying, God promises to love me all day and sing songs all through the night. My life is God's prayer. David portrays God as a loving parent, caring for him in the daytime, and if necessary, singing comforting songs in the night. You do that for your kids, don't you? If they wake up terrified, they have a nightmare, you don't say, hey, let's go watch some weird television. You comfort them and maybe even sing to them special songs. How is my life God's prayer? If prayer is having a conversation with God, people can hear what God and I are saying by seeing my life. My countenance reveals his countenance as we daily look into his wonderful face and are changed from glory to glory into his image. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? This makes it sound like David had once again sunken into despair. And that's a possibility. But again, something even now, you know, late in my Christian life, I'm learning to consult more and more other versions. One version starts this verse, I sometimes say. This then is what David would sometimes say and would have said if not for the intervention of talking to himself. Instead of what he sometimes said, he says, verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This is a great verse to memorize or to highlight at least because when you're down in despair and you're, the waves are rolling over you, you can talk to yourself and say, why am I cast down? Why am I disquieted? I have a hope in God. I'll praise the Lord. You have a glorious future. You have a wonderful inheritance. You have rewards waiting for you, eternal life. I know that doesn't solve your daily problems, but it shouldn't disquiet your soul. My paraphrase of this would be, get out of verses nine and 10 and think verse 11. I shall yet praise him. I suggest anticipates a return to the assembly of the saints. After all, that is David's great yearning. That is his thirst quencher in this psalm. So again, this psalm is not about COVID-19, but you can't argue that the main theme of it is I want to gather with God's people and worship the Lord. 
The help of my countenance means David's afflictions understood as in the will of God will contribute to a better countenance. People will see God in him. We could throw as an example, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, before being stoned to death, we're told all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and they saw his face as if it were the face of an angel. Now you and I may never actually glow, but on a spiritual level, folks can see God's countenance in you. Have you ever seen a pregnant woman and think that she was glowing? That's a famous thing, right? Why you have a glow about you? Oh yeah, I'm pregnant. I've never seen the glow. But it's there. I'm using the term graced afflictions. The waves may dash you upon the rocks and just when you think you found something to hold on to, you're drawn back out to sea. When God is your only hope, his grace is sufficient. That is when you shine. So where is your God? David answered that question by letting us look into his personal conversations with God and with himself. His answer, if that's what we can call it, was this. God manifests his grace through my afflictions and he manifests himself in the great assembly of his people. And so I need grace and I need to gather. If you want to boil down this psalm as simply as possible, I need grace. And we would say amen to that. And we need to gather.